Uh, good morning, good morning, church, and uh, welcome back to our series. We've been in this great series called God's Dwelling Place, the story before the story. And this has been a fantastic series. If you've missed any, I encourage you to go back and listen because we've been talking about the tabernacle, and it really is the story before the story. Uh, you know, I'm married to a wonderful woman. I love my wife, and she is amazing, and she's awesome. But I remember when we were dating, and we had dated for a while, and I knew she was special, and there was something God was doing in us, and this, we were falling in love. But, but I was like, okay, I need to meet her family, right? I mean, at some point, I need to meet her family because I, I kind of want to know. I mean, she's bringing this into the relationship. I'm bringing my family in, you know, and so, so we were like, okay, we need to go meet each other's family, and, and I'm hoping and praying, right? I'm like, I hope they're cool, right? I hope they're great. I hope there's not any crazy there because, you know, I really like this girl and everything, and she's amazing. And so sure enough, we drove to Kentucky, and we met, and, and they were great, which was a, a big blessing. You know, I was like, oh, whew, it's really good. I like her mom, you know. But her dad was really quiet, and uh, I was like, all right, you know, that's good. And, and I started to learn more about my wife as I started to know more about her family and, you know, where she grew up and the things that she was doing. And then after a little while, it was kind of time, you know, I was like, okay, she's the one. And so I remember, I thought, okay, I need to go ask her dad for his blessing. Now, ladies in the room, you don't understand how traumatic this is, okay? I mean, this is like, I mean, you know, I don't care if you're used to speaking or whatever else. This is like a big deal. And, uh, and so, you know, I thought, okay, and it was Thanksgiving. And, and so we went up there and, you know, I'm nervous. I'd already bought the ring and I had it, but I was like, I need to talk to him. And he didn't talk a whole lot, but, you know, so they're in there and they're like getting Thanksgiving ready. And I said, um, you know, uh, Mr. Lanier, can I talk to you? And so we come over and we sit down and, and I'm like, um, how's the weather, you know, been lately? And, you know, uh, Kentucky basketball, right? And he's like, yep, yep. And I'm like, uh, and so then I'm like, all right, you know, I, I, I really like your daughter and um, can, can I marry her? You know, I want to, will you give me your blessing? My palms are sweaty and nervous. And he looks at me, he says, okay. Like, okay. Like, what, what was that? You know, like, okay, okay. But it kind of gave me some insight. I'm like, all right, well, I got the blessing. You know, we're good, we're good. But, but yeah, I think, you know, I learned more about, okay, Lisa's relationship and how that interacts and all the people there. I think this is why people are so obsessed right now with Ancestry.com. And maybe you've done this. And you've sent off a piece of your hair and you kind of want to know, hey, what's in the background, right? Am I Italian or am I German or why do I like to cook or where did this come from? Because there was a story long before me that's impacting me. Right? There's something that happened before that I'm coming into this relationship and I want to know why I am why I am. And I want to know why I do what I do, why I like what I like. And when you and I fall in love with God, when as God draws us to himself and Christ comes alive in us, then we start to go, wait, there was a story long before me. And I want to know more about this God who's redeemed me and restored me. See, a lot of people disconnect the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're like, man, I really like the Old Testament. You know, I like that New Testament part. But, you know, the Old Testament, I'm not really sure about it. No, no, no. It's the same God. And the same God who was there before. And when we go back and we dive in and we get deeper in our faith with God and, our, and it grows richer in our heart and our life, we understand what God's doing in us. And what I've loved about this series, what I've loved, I love, I love, is we're seeing the faithfulness of God. We're seeing God's mercy and we're seeing God's grace. And when it comes to us, we're going, wow, that's the same God who has redeemed me. That's the same God who was going before me. 
God is doing something amazing. And so I've loved, I've loved, I've loved this series. And I hope and pray you have as well as we dive in to see the heartbeat and the character and the nature of a God who has called you. But God was working long before now. And God will be working long since. But God wants us to know Him. Isn't that beautiful? All right, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. God has a beautiful love story that he's writing. And man, we get to be a part of that right now. And it is just a beautiful work of God. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to kind of, there's some Bibles in the back. You can grab one, put your name in it. It's yours. Or if you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures online at YouVersion. Uh, also, we'll put the scripture on the screen so you can follow along with what God's word has to say. So Exodus chapter 40, we're going to be in this chapter this morning. This is the last chapter in the second book of the Bible, okay? So this is the last chapter in Exodus. So let me set the stage real quick. The, the Bible opens in Genesis, and it opens with God creating man for a relationship with him. So if you ever wonder, you know, God, why did you make me? You know, why am I here? Well, God created you for a relationship with him. And things were perfect. They were in the garden, Adam and Eve, and God dwelt with them, it tells us that. God was with them, and he would walk with them in the cool of the day. I mean, they were like in right relationship with God, and they were in right relationship with each other. They had no baggage. They had no shame. Things were great until Genesis 3, right? And then all of a sudden, they sin. And they say, God, we don't want to do it your way. And they broke that relationship with God. Now you have a holy God, and you have sinful man. And there was this separation. But here's the good news. God didn't give up on them. And God doesn't give up on us. Because we've all sinned, the Bible says. We've all sinned. Now, the Bible doesn't even have to tell us that. We know that, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God set into motion a plan to redeem them and to redeem all mankind. So God called this guy Abraham and said, Abraham, you're 75. I know that. But leave your country and your people and go to a land I will show you. And you're never too old to take a next step in your faith journey. So don't kick back and say, hey, well, God's kind of finished with me. No, he's not. God still has a plan and a purpose for you. That's why there's breath in your lungs. And Abraham at 75 says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And he comes and God says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And I'm going to bring the Messiah. I'm going to set this whole thing up. And I'm going to carve out a people for myself. But I'm going to bring redemption to everyone. I'm going to take care of this whole matter of sin. I mean, this is the most beautiful love story ever. And God calls Abraham and it starts having kids and they get more and more kids and a famine hits the land. They all move down to Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, they kind of stick around there a little bit too long and they become slaves. But they call out to God. God, deliver us. God, deliver us. And God sent a man named Moses. And these people who were slaves there, Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go, God says. And Moses says, no way. And after 10 plagues, Pharaoh says, he's God, I'm not, go ahead. And so a million people come walking out of the land of Egypt. And they make an exodus. That's exodus right here. And so the whole book of Exodus is them walking across the wilderness back to the promised land, to the land that God had designed for them. Now, they're in the middle of the desert. And God's taking care of them. I mean, think about this. What grows in a desert? Nothing, right? So God supplies the needs for them. God gives them manna, which was a bread-like substance. Every morning it was right there for them to eat. And God gives them quail from heaven for them to have meat to eat. God gives them water from a rock. I mean, God just meets their needs. Maybe this morning you, you kind of find yourself in a desert. And you're kind of going, man, I don't know what's going on in my life. I, I just feel like I'm tired. I'm exhausted in my life. 
you know what? God's there with you. And God's meeting you. And God's sustaining you. And God hasn't given up on you. So don't give up on him. Hold on to him today. And the people did. And they trusted God. And so God says, hey, Moses, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build this tabernacle. And, and I want you to put it in the center of the camp. Because I know I'm taking the children of Israel out of Egypt. But it's going to take a long time to take Egypt out of the children of Israel. And I want them to focus on me and fall in love with me. And so God gives them all these instructions about how to build this tabernacle. And God's very precise here. And then we come to the point where they set it up. And today we see the setting up of the tabernacle. If you're taking notes, setting up of the tabernacle. And turn with me, Exodus 40, verse 17. It says, so the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. All right, so second year. So they've been out of Egypt for a year. They've been walking through the desert for a year. For about six months, they've been working on this. And over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about the craftsmen and all the work that went into it to make all the furnishings. And it says, when Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the post. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the testimony. Okay, that's the Ten Commandments, Right? I mean, when God gave him the two tablets of testimony and inscribed by the finger of God, he took the testimony and he placed it in the ark. That's the ark of the covenant. And attached the poles to the ark because you couldn't carry the ark. You couldn't touch it. That represented the presence of God. So you carried it by poles. Attached the poles to the ark and put the atonement cover over it, the mercy seat of God. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded him. So the shielding curtain that separated holy God from sinful man. And this big, big curtain there. And so this is the holy of holy places. Then Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the curtain, and set on it the bread on it before the Lord as commanded. Then he placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. So you have these two places. You have the holy place, big curtain right there. Then you have the holy of holies, this other place. Then he set the altar of the burnt offering near the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. And he placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and their feet. So Aaron is Moses' brother. He's the high priest. And they would cleanse themselves before they would go in to offer sacrifices for the people. It says they washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. So after a year of being out of Egypt, after six months of working on this, they finally set it up. And I want you to notice this. Our God is a God of the details. Our God is a God of the details. How many times did God say as the Lord commanded him, right? And Moses did it. Sometimes in our life, we think, oh, well, God's not concerned about this. This is a small thing. You know, God's got bigger things to concern himself with. I mean, there's big things that are happening in the world. No, God's concerned about every area of your life. 
And when you and I, we kneel down and say, God, you know, I need help in this, or God, in this relationship, or God, in this finances, or this bill came in, and God, I, I need help. When we bring those things, God is concerned about everything in our lives. God is a God of the details. God's very precise here. Now, I want you to see today, because this is important to me, how, how this whole thing is set up. So first of all, you'll see this. You have the tabernacle here, right? And first of all, you see the colors, the colors. There's only four colors that were used for the curtains. Remember how he put this big uh, tent together and he put it over the covering? There were only four colors that were used. And as you look at this tabernacle, everything here is pointing to Christ. Everything with the tabernacle is pointing to Jesus. Even as something as simple as the colors. You see, they only use four colors, right? They use blue. Blue represented heaven. Anytime back then that you would see blue, it was always talking about heaven. Then white was used. White, the purity. The purity. Christ comes from heaven, lives 33 sinless years on this earth. The third color was red, scarlet. The blood, the sacrifice. The fourth was purple, the royalty. The royalty that he conquered sin. Everything that God was doing back here in the tabernacle in the Old Testament was pointing us to Christ. See, that's the amazing part about this. As you look back at God's story, it's always been a redemptive story. Even 1,300 years before Jesus is on the scene, everything in the Old Testament is leading up to this. And as you go read the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ, and all 300 are fulfilled in Jesus. Now, the probability of that is astronomical. But everything is pointing to Christ. Now, everything in the New Testament is coming back to Christ. It's all coming to Jesus. So first, you see the colors. Secondly, you see the camp. You see the camp. The way that God said this is, hey, I want you to build this tabernacle and put it in the center of the camp. Then I want you to have the tribes around it. And so there's 12 tribes. And whenever they would camp now, they would set up in this order and they would put the tabernacle right there at the center. You know, you know what's powerful to think about? Is this is the way our lives work. <laughs> when we put Christ at the center of our lives, when we put God at the center of our hearts, our lives make sense. It, it just, there's a peace. E even though everything may not be perfect on the outside, there's a peace. But when we take God out of the center and we try to put career, <laughs> or, or we try to put money, or, or we try to put a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or we try to put kids, and, and those things are all fine. But when those come at the center, then all of a sudden our life gets off kilter, right? Because we're running after those things. And God says, listen, I just want to be at the center of your life. I, I want to be at the center of your heart. And I'm doing this all the way back there because I have this principle for you that your life is going to make sense. You're going to have peace and hope and joy when I am right here. It's all pointing, all pointing, all leading up to Christ. Here's the other thing I want you to see, the furnishings. The furnishings. So God commanded them, hey, put this furnishings. And he started to put all these things in place, right? You have the bronze altar. When they would walk into the tabernacle to worship, they would have to bring a lamb or a ram or a goat or a pigeon to offer a sacrifice for their sins. Remember, holy God, sinful man. So just, aren't you thankful that, hey, we don't have to bring something this morning, right? Why? Because when Jesus came onto the scene, John the Baptist looked up and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
How awesome is that? That Jesus died for your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. But God was preparing his people. Hey, redemption, atonement, it's going to have to be paid. The wash basin here, the wash, the cleansing, that was important to be cleansed. We're going to talk about baptism in a minute. They would come in, the table right here, they would put the bread on it. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life, right? You remember that? He eats for me, will never grow hungry again. Hey, look at this, the menorah, the lamp. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. All of this right here, the altar of incense, Christ is the sweet aroma of God right there, the Ark of the Covenant. You know what the Bible tells us in John? You know, in Matthew and Luke, it talks about the birth narrative of Christ coming and being born. But in John, the Gospel of John, it just says this. The Word, the Old Testament, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that Word dwelt is tabernacle. Tabernacle literally means dwelling. God dwelled with the people in the garden. Then all of a sudden, a relationship was broken. God makes a place to dwell with his people then. Then he sends Christ to dwell with us. Isn't that awesome? All of this is leading up. Now, I want you to see this too, the pattern. Because as they built the tabernacle, right, they had it with them as they traveled around through the desert. They end up in the promised land. And when they're in the promised land and they're there, and then David becomes the king. And David says this, and I love this about David, and this is why he's called a man after God's heart. He was one of the kings, right? And David looks out, and David's living in this palace, and David goes, why am I in a nice house and God's dwelling in a tent? I love that he even asked that question, right? He's like, I want to do something for the house of God. I want to build something. I want to do something for God to be honored. And so God said, well, David, that's great. That's wonderful, but you have too much blood on your hands, but your son Solomon can build it. So Solomon comes along and builds the temple, which is the temple where Jesus would have gone to worship, and he builds it in the same pattern as the tabernacle. So you can see the, the burnt altar. You can see the wash basin. He kind of made it a lot bigger, made everything bigger, right? The, the holy place where you would enter in, the priest would enter in, the holy of holies. Instead of 15 feet high for the curtain into the holy of holies, it's now 60 feet high, <laughs> Solomon comes along, this huge courtyard, Solomon's colonnade. And if you go still to Israel today, you can go up on the Temple Mount there. And so all of this, God was saying, hey, I'm preparing you for the Messiah. So that you can have a right relationship with me. That's what the tabernacle is about. Keep going here. Look what happens. They set up the tabernacle and then look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. <laughs> Guys, how cool is this? These people have worked on this for six months. Everybody in the community has tithed. They've given offerings. Women have been making the curtains. They've been putting gold and making these, these places, the altar of incense and the bronze altar. All the skilled craftsmen were involved. And after six months, they set it up. And then God moves in. <laughs> and can you imagine that day? As they all, like all the tithe, they're all setting it up in the center of their camp. And then the cloud comes down and they just back up. They're like, whoa, Wow. I mean, what a celebration. What a celebration this must have been. 
I mean, how awesome. Some of you, you know, you've been a part. I mean, I mean, I remember when we moved into this place and it was just like, wow. Or some of you have been part of helping build a church or start a church or play in a place. And, and you just see all of a sudden it comes to life. And I think that's what it was for them. It was this awesome celebration. And before it was this lifeless tent. And it was cool. And it was a great, you know, man, how did they do that? But then the glory of God moved in. And everything came to life. And the people were like, God is here. And see, isn't that what God does in our lives? I mean, think about your life before you met Christ, right? In, in your life, I mean, it was fine, it was okay, but, but still, like the Bible says, we were dead in our sins and our transgressions until God made us alive in Christ. And there came a point as God was drawing you to himself that you got on your knees and whether it was in your home by your bed or whether it was when you prayed with your parents or whether it was at church on a Sunday morning, whether it was like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, or whether it was last week, there was a point that you said, Christ, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And God moves in. And God redeems and restores and makes you new and brings you to life. And I love this. I love this. I love this. Because what follows then is joy. And I love the joy of new believers. See, God desires to be with his people. And God has been saying that all the way from the tabernacle. God desires to be with us. And when God moves in, there is joy that erupts. And that's why the Bible says, hey, remember the joy of your salvation? Do you remember that? You remember when Christ came in and you just were so excited? You couldn't believe that somebody would die for you. You couldn't believe what God was doing in you. I love, I love mature believers. I love people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time. We can talk about the deeper things of God. But I love, I love, I love too just the, the newness of new believers. Last week after the service, this young girl runs up. She's like, yeah, I want to be baptized. And she's so excited. Her mom and dad are standing there. They're smiling. And she just had this joy. She was like, yes, never forget that. Never lose what God has done for you. Baptism is an outward expression of that. You're dying to your old way of life, right? And you're being raised to walk in a new life. And as God moves into your heart, the fruit of the Spirit begins to happen in you. Your life should look different. My life should look different. That there should be love and joy and peace that should come. And that doesn't mean everything's perfect in our lives, but our lives should look different because God's moved in. And God's in me, tabernacling with me. <laughs> The God of the universe. These guys were, had to be, man, this is just an incredible day, incredible opportunity for them to see the glory of God moving in. And then look at this. It says, in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. You see, here's what's amazing to me. God saved the people, right? God saved his people out of Egypt. When they were, they had no chance. I mean, they were slaves. They weren't getting out of there. It was God who saved them. It was God who redeemed them. It was God who took the initiative to save them. It was God's work. But God also led them. God didn't just save them and say, hey, good luck, figure it out. The, the promised land's that way, you know. God stayed with them. He walked with them every day. And here's the thing, right? When Christ moves into our hearts and our lives, he redeems us and he saves us from sin, but then he wants to lead us. 
And God wants to use us for his glory. God redeems us from within, but God is not finished with any of us. God's own son paid the price for us. Now, if you look at this, here's, here's what's powerful. Here's what's powerful, right? The cloud was over the tabernacle. And when the cloud lifted, then the people go, okay, we need to follow God. And the cloud would come and rest over the next place that they were to camp. And then the cloud would come down. There was a cloud by day. And what does it say? A pillar of fire by night. Now think about this. Think about this. How powerful this is. God was meeting their needs, providing food for them to eat, manna and quail and water from a rock. But God was also in the details of their life. You see, in the middle of the desert, these guys were going to fry, right? It wasn't like they ran down to Target and bought some SPF 50, you know, and like covered themselves. And moms were like, yeah, make sure we get enough lotion over here, you know. They didn't have that. And so God says, hey, watch this. And there was a cloud. A cloud just shielding, just blocking. And then at night, there's a pillar of fire. What happens in the desert at night? It's dark, right? They didn't have street lights or anything like that. But it's also really cold. God just taking care of the details. And you guys, I bet if you look back in your life, you just go, yeah, God's provided food for me. God's taken care of my major needs. But man, there's been times that God just showed up. And it was in this little thing. And God just shielded me or God protected me or God provided for me. God, thank you. And God goes, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not only saving you, I'm redeeming you and I'm leading you. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know what the next step of my life is. Maybe you're in this kind of confusing place about job or finances or a relationship. And and I just want you to know this, that that God cares. That God's with you in the midst of those details. Our God is not a God of confusion. Our God is a God of clarity. And God wants to lead you. And a lot of times we run ahead of God, like, God, I'll get this done. Or sometimes we stay back and God's already moved. And for us, our call is just to stay step in step with the Lord walking with him, tabernacling with him in our lives so that we can see as God leads us. Look over in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Remember Old Testament, New Testament. You're seeing this here. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You have peace today? You have peace? You see, peace only comes when Christ rules in your heart, Right? And not when something else rules in your heart, not when we try to put something else at the center of our lives and then we run after our career and we think, I gotta have this much money or I gotta do this or this is only gonna happen, it's gonna make me satisfied or fulfilled. No, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body, greater story here, you are called to peace. Oh, and be thankful. Hey guys, don't forget this. Be, be thankful. God's been with you. God's sustaining you. And then look at this. Let the word of Christ dwell. Remember, tabernacle means dwelling. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts toward God. What is that? That's living a life of worship, isn't it? God, I want you at the center of my heart. I want you at the center of my life. God, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to know you. I want to have peace with you. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything in the New Testament, looking to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament, looking forward to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who leads. Jesus is the one who dwells with us. Back in Exodus chapter 40, this is so powerful to me. It just, it just says this, this one little phrase that I think is so awesome. It just says in verse 33, and so Moses finished the work. And so Moses finished the work. And guys, that's my desire for me. That's my desire for all of us. God, find me faithful. God, not perfect, but, but just let me finish what you have called me to do. God, you redeemed me for a reason. God, there's breath in my lungs for a reason. You've restored me for a reason. God, let me finish what you've called me to do. Let me be faithful, God, in my family. Let me be faithful, God, to you. Let me be faithful, God, in my church. Let me be faithful, God, all of my days. God, you are faithful. Let me be faithful. Moses was faithful. Am I faithful? Because of what God's doing in me. And God's redeeming and restoring. But God's been writing a greater story. And God's not finished with me. And God's not finished with you. And God will be faithful. I love this whole thing about the tabernacle because I just believe we see so clearly God's heart for you and God's heart for me. God's heart for the world. When we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, God didn't give up on us. But God came to us. Now I want you to watch this. I want you to watch this. When you would come back then to worship there at the tabernacle, you would, you would just go with me, okay? You would enter into the courtyard, right? And so this morning you would come, we would come together, we would come to worship, and we would enter into this courtyard, and we'd be looking around, we'd just be like, praise God, I'm going to meet the tent of meeting. I'm meeting with God. God laid this house out. God in his sovereignty has put all this together and I get to go meet with him. And so the first thing I would do is come to the bronze altar and I would offer my sacrifice because I would realize my sin. I would realize my total depravity. I realized my need for God, right? Now, I would have to stop right there unless I was a priest. If I was a priest, I could go to the wash basin and I would wash and I would get ready to go inside. And I would walk inside into the holy place. And I would go in there and I would look over here at the lamp, the lamp that was giving light in there. And I would just be thinking, God, thank you. Thank you that you provide light, a pillar of fire. Thank you that you protect. God, thank you that you're there. God, thank you for the table and the bread of your presence. God, thank you that you are with me and you are for me. God, thank you for the altar of incense and the sweet aroma. And then, if you were a priest, you had to stop because there was a big veil 15 feet high that separated where you could go from the Holy of Holies. And if you were to walk past that veil and one time a year, the great high priest could go back there into the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God, and on that Day of Atonement, offer sins for the sacrifice of the people. They would put the blood there on the altar. But all of this was saying, hey, one day, one day God's going to invite you and me just to enter in. And you and me, we don't have to stop at the courtyard at the bronze altar. You and me have to understand that God has paid the price for us to enter in to the place, to see the light of the world and to know the bread of life. And this veil that separated God from us, the price has been paid. And Jesus on the cross, you know what he said? 
it is finished. And when he said it is finished, this veil that was in the temple that was 60 feet tall, it was torn in two from top to bottom. And God just saying, enter in. Enter in. Enter into a relationship with me. I love you. And I'm going to pay the price that you deserve to pay. I'm redeeming and restoring you. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. And even when we've blown it, even when we've messed up and we've sinned, our God has been there to say, enter in. I've been making a way for a long time because you are special to me. And I knit you together in your mother's womb and I've had a plan for you every day of your life. I've been protecting you and providing for you and longing for you to have this relationship with me. And as you go forward in your life, you go forward in the confidence that I am with you and that I am for you. God is here. And Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night before he would go and pay the price, he called his disciples together and he said, guys, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. In fact, just let me show you. And he took bread and he said, guys, this is going to be my body. And it's going to be broken for you. For you. Not just for the world, but for you. Personal. It's not your parents' faith. It's not your church's faith, your country's faith. It, it, it's yours. And after supper, he took the cup. And he said, guys, this is the new covenant. You were under the law before, right? You, you were separated. But there's a new covenant of grace. My blood poured out for you. Take and eat and take and drink and remember it to me. So this morning, we have the privilege to come to his table. There are two tables set up on the sides. There's two tables up front. There's a gluten-free table over here. There's two tables in the back. And, and I want to invite you this morning to come. I'm going to invite some of our A6 leaders and the, their spouses to move to the tables. They're going to be there to serve you the bread. And you take a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you, and to dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and receive the gift that only he can give. But guys, when you come to the table this morning, here's what I want to ask you to do. Maybe today, number one, is this a day of salvation. Maybe you look and you realize, hey, I've been trying to earn it, and I can't. I need to receive it. It's what God's done for me. And maybe today you just want to go, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my past. Redeem me and restore me. Maybe for you, you've been a Christ follower a long time. Do you still have that joy of your salvation? Of what God's doing? Maybe today, as you come to the table, maybe God's calling you to be baptized or to take a next step in your spiritual journey. God's calling you and growing you. Never stop growing in Him. Never stop moving forward and trusting in His faithfulness. Maybe today as you come to the table, you just want to say thank you. God, I look back at my life and you have been so faithful. And God, now I'm in this love relationship with you and God, I know I have confidence. I, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And I'm going to hold on to you. And God, whatever you say, I'm going to do and I'm going to follow and I'm going to trust. I'm going forward in you. 
This is your time with the Lord. You and Him. What's God saying to you today as you come to His table to receive? So Father God, here we are, your disciples. Lord, we can't say thank you enough for Jesus. Oh God, and your sovereignty from the very beginning, God, you had planned to redeem and to restore us. And we're a part of that story today, Father. Thank you for Jesus. And Father, I pray this morning that the depth of your love would overwhelm us. I pray that the depth of your grace would give us confidence, Father, that you're with us and you're for us. God, we all go through challenging times and face difficulties. And Father, maybe some are here today in the midst of that. And I pray, Father, that they would feel your touch and just saying, I'm with you. I'm for you. And I will never give up on you. So, Father, we come this morning to receive what only you can give. We take a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for us. And dip into the cup, your blood poured out for us. And we say thank you. And we worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we come to your table. Amen. Amen. You're invited to come to the table.